Jason Baylor Losh, and you're listening to Scene is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. This episode's guest is Morris Carlin. I had the unique opportunity to hang out with Morris while he was in town visiting from Manchester, England. He runs and is a founder of Islington Mill Art Center in Manchester. It is an amazing space. Briefly, Islington Mill is home to 50 small businesses with over 100 artists. Been around for the last 15 years. They've supported more than 5,000 artists from 35 different countries, and they have over 15,000 visitors each year into the building. The building essentially has studio spaces, and then they run an alternative school program out of that space as well, too. And it all is facilitated by a small team of people that came up with this idea of being an inclusive thing for the community and people who did not have an arts background and wanted to really learn and research and figure out how to go about the process of like just getting this done. The structure is meant to be inclusive in a way that I've not seen in anything else uh, outside of it. Morris is also a fantastic artist and he's self-taught in the episode. We talk about everything about uh, his growing up in Ireland and him being uh a pig farmer, hog farmer, to being in a rock band and moving to Manchester to play music and then running into this this opportunity and learning along the way to and having the Islington Mill sort of be a product out of that. So take a listen. And uh, one more thing. I really am fortunate to, to be able to do the things that I do. And the podcast has allowed me to meet people like Morris. And now I consider him a friend, and I really feel fortunate for that. So, that being said, here he is. Morris, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to be here again. Again, yeah. So you were here last night, mm. and we ended up going to Arturo Bandini. We did. I said that a little fancy. I didn't mean to. Uh, you are here from Manchester. Yes. And you are on a research trip, but you've got. I, there's so many things I want to discuss. So I guess maybe first describe why you're in Los Angeles. So... I'm here um, on a research trip, as you say. Um, it's uh, funded by a UK arts publication called AN. So it's a travel bursary um, to come and um, primarily research the show at the Hammer Museum about Black Mountain College. Um, and the reason for that is, is that my background is as a founder of an alternative art school in the UK called Islington Mill Art Academy. Um, and while I've always known about Black Mountain College and had a kind of, you know, fairly superficial kind of sense of what they've been about, um, this show um, is the first kind of comprehensive museum exhibition about Black Mountain College. So I really wanted to come and kind of really delve into that story and look at, um, you know, what elements of it might still be applicable to our context back in the UK today. Um, so there was that. And then alongside that, um, I wanted to come and see what kind of artist led spaces were, were happening here in LA today. You know, we've heard 
um, back in Europe about how exciting everything is here. How there's a really vibrant in LA, yeah, scene in LA. So, um, so I wanted to kind of look at that, um, and in particular, I was interested in spaces that um, are running residencies because that's something that we do at Islington Mill also, um, and it's something we're about to expand as part of a new development um, at our space. Um, so I wanted to see um, the kind of models people were using for residencies here. And also I was interested in exploring whether there was any potential to set up some exchanges because um, we also have some exchanges with other um, primarily European organizations. Um, so that that's kind of like the reason why I'm here. So last night you and I, we got a few beers. We did. We did. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> At the famous, the famous text. text. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's handy that it's like two minutes from my studio. So it works perfectly. Um, but you said a lot of things in your sort of explanation there yeah. that I wanted to delve into. And a couple of them, um, specifically, you're talking about that exchange between uh, LA and, and England. But I have found through being in London and having a lot of friends and curators and everything over there, that the funding for arts in, in England and Europe in general is completely different than what that structure is here in the States. And I want to talk a bit about maybe not the difference as much as how you guys are set up or structured so that you do have the funding to have these exchanges with, with artists or like the, like the money that's been provided to the, to the school we're working on that. Can you talk a bit about that? So we have a, a structure where we have public subsidy for the arts that comes via um, what's called Arts Council England. Um, and they're part funded by the government and also part funded through um, lottery funding. So people buying lottery tickets. Um, there isn't as much money around from those sources as there used to be. Um, and arts organizations have definitely been encouraged to look at generating their own revenue or private funding, private funding. In some ways, I'm quite interested in how things work here. You have a, a model of private patronage that's much more established here. Something interesting. Well, to to go further into what you're saying and the Arts Council is what we what I wanted to get at. And the Arts Council last night, you had mentioned, too, that one of the new rules that the Arts Council put in place was to push that funding outside of London and move it out into areas outside of London. Yeah. So there was a, there was a few, maybe a year ago or a little bit more, there was um, quite a damning report that was published that showed that the proportion of money that was spent per capita outside of London was way, 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 way lower than that, what was spent in Minuscule, London yeah. and in, in the Southeast. And then that was put alongside the proportion of money people spend on the lottery outside of London versus within London. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of like they were almost making the point that you have all these poorer, poorer people outside of the capital that are spending all their money in the lottery to fund the arts for... For London, for but the not for their class, own communities. For the middle class, yeah. So it was pretty damn, and, and, and that and other things have contributed to... Um, this kind of devolution agenda. You said something like 70% or something has to be spent outside of London now, right? So now it's something like minimum 70% has to be spent outside of London, which I think is really um, is really great. And, and, it, it, and it's great for 
organizations that are outside of London, but it's really hurting the smaller organizations within London really hard. Which there's quite a few of. Which there's quite a few of, yeah. And and the thing is that what what you do have in London is, is you've got a lot of the bigger national institutions who are never n- not going to get that funding you right know, they, so they, it's already set up they can't be allowed to fail but the smaller ones can so i think this the 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 pinches on the, on the smaller ones really within london i would say um and it's very very tough for like individual artists um and or small organizations to get public funding in london you know it's really really hard the difference between the states and england being that um you have a mid-level of artists that's able to get support that they normally wouldn't be able to get here in the States probably. But in England, because of these, the funding to smaller organizations who are going to support younger mid-level or early, early entry artists, rather than sort of what the uh, fiscal system is based around here is basically uh, galleries and collectors and how those galleries and collectors sort of support the funding for uh, even the nonprofits here. You, you look at um, you look at a lot of the the nonprofits in New York, and they're specifically dwindling. Where some of that patronage it only comes from, or or the public public realm pieces is, are only produced now by funding directly from the gallery of the artist who is going to build the work, and and that's not the case in London or in England in general, correct? So so what you're describing in here is is that if there is a a, a um, a work that isn't necessarily going to be sold within the art market. There's always a body of work that is sold in the art market that sits alongside that that will help to support it. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So yeah, we don't we don't have that, and we, and that is a good thing, I think. In that. No, it's really good. Yeah, it's really important. Um. So, and I think what it what it means is is that there are you know mid level institutions that can put on shows that aren't necessarily about creating work that's for sale but you know i'm i don't want to paint a picture of it being like it's not rosy it certainly isn't and what i would say one of the big problems i would say is that in terms of the gaps in funding is that i i I kind of call it (laughs) post-emerging you know artists that are not eligible any longer for emerging funding but are not in any way established right that totally um, totally but sense. but that have developed mature practices, but have very little support for that. And because there's a lot of stipulations on some of that funding that it goes to early career artists. Yeah. And there's a gap in there. Yeah. So essentially what we're kind of doing is, is we're kind of encouraging a lot of people at the start to kind of like give it a go. But then we're, we're creating a glass ceiling where a lot of people are then are kind of like coming to a very tight funnel where very few are moving through that, I would say. Um, and equally, one of the things that I think is a problem is that there are actually very few opportunities for British artists to go abroad and be funded to do that. There's one fund in particular, but if you have been sec- successful at getting that, then you're highly unlikely to get it again. So you're stuck. So you're kind of stuck in a way. So And, and you know, I think a, a big part of shifting from that emerging into something more established is developing an international um, reputation for what you do but if if you can't really go abroad then that's kind of going to be pretty tough we talked a bit about too the the idea of not knowing the artists that are prominent in each other's cultures yeah and we we went through a list together of artists that neither of us had heard of from the other one but like like one of the artists i mentioned was robert Irwin, mm. and you hadn't heard of robert Irwin. 
what was funny to me in the story that I told you was that like I hadn't heard of Robert Irwin until I moved to L.A. because nobody in New York thought it was important enough or bothered to take the time to talk about these sort of artists that were sort of fundamental to actually changing the way New York artists thought about it as well, too. Mm. Some some other artists that I thought were interesting, some big ones. Who is who is the large one we mentioned last night that's huge in, in Europe? Jimmy Durham. Jimmy Durham, yeah. And he's American. He's American, mm. but he has a huge European following. The This year at Basel, Miami, was the first time that I had seen a Jimmy Durham piece at one of the fairs. And it was the the very famous rock on the car, the boulder sitting in a crushed car. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure that image has been shared all over Europe. Yeah, very, very familiar, yeah. Well, he's I, he's having his first retrospective coming up, so we mm. everybody here will get a taste of it. But it, it just strikes me that we were talking about this open culture and the internet and how it's still very closed. Mm. We, we don't share as much as we think we're sharing, especially with, with the artists that are sort of influencing or changing the way we actually think about things. I th- yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting because I think we have this impression that we're um, operating within a global context now. Um, and, you know, the art world is definitely, you know, more outward looking, but actually it's been a real eye-opener to come here and realize that actually I've not heard of most of the artists. Can we talk a bit about the um, the Academy? Sure. Maybe let's talk about when it started, mm-hmm. why it started, and sort of what the intentions of the future are for it. Mm-hmm. So it started in 2007, and I should say what my kind of background is and how I came to be right. a, a co-founder of it. So I, I haven't been to university, and I first... You're self-taught. I'm self-taught, yeah. But I haven't been to university to study anything else either. Oh, really? No, no. What well, so, What were you doing with yourself? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I well, let's go right back to the very start then. <laughs> so I grew up in uh, on a farm in Ireland, and then uh, quit school, finished school at seventeen, and then became a farmer. Really? Yeah. What type of farming? Pig farming. Really? Yeah. My ex-wife's family were pig farmers, and I had to load many a hog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long did you do that for? I did that for about five years. Yeah, enough was enough after five. Huh? And that, that was enough, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I had had it with them Just how big How big an operation did you run? How many hogs? We had quite, quite a few, yeah. Quite a few, definitely in the hundreds. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a yeah. tough job. That is not for, I mean, early mornings, like late nights. Definitely. Always on call. Definitely. Always on call. Yeah. I mean, we'd grown up with it, you know, um, and. Um, is that what your family did? Yeah. That's what, what what my father did. Oh, really? So you just knew it. It was like. So we kind of knew it. Um, and I mean, I, you know, my two, I have two brothers and they, I think they really resented the kind of how little time they had to be children. Because I think it when, doesn't exist. No, when you grow up in a family business, you're kind of like co-opted as I, I staff. had the same thing. Yeah. yeah, I grew up being a carpenter. Yeah, and you know, I'd get wake-up calls at six in the morning, five thirty. Yeah, time to go. We got to go pour concrete before the sun comes up. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just the way it is. And it's just the way it is. Um, and I guess I I was I I was lucky in that I actually enjoyed it. Really? You know, I, I did. I really enjoyed it. And I was really sure I wanted to kind of do that. After, you mean before you started doing it for the five years? Yeah, before I started doing it for the five years. Whereas my two brothers were absolutely sure they didn't. What did they go do? 
Um, so they went to university. Uh, one went to um, uh, to Cardiff, and the other went to Belfast. Older or younger? One older, one younger. Okay. So we're we're all kind of like very close together in terms right. of age. So. And you stayed on the farm. And I stayed in the farm. Yeah. So what happened in that that five year time that? I think you know. I mean, I just kind of grew up. Yeah. A little bit, and 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 also. You know, my two brothers leaving as well, you know, became quite a... Changes everything, <laughs> It right? does change everything, you know. So, yeah. So, I decided to to try something else for a bit. And so, I went to went to Belfast for a little while um, to spend some time with my younger brother. He was there at, at university. And then... What did you do? I just got a job as a um, a night porter in a hotel. So, I was like, sort of just, you know, sat there all night in a, in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, How long did that last? I don't know, maybe six months or something. Not very long. Not very long. Yeah, no. I've had those jobs too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, sometime after that, the two like we, we, we both really wanted to get away from Ireland. You it's, and your brother. Yeah, I think we all really wanted to get away from Ireland in a way, and I don't know if that's a kind of Irish thing, because obviously a lot of Irish people have want have left, but I think a lot of them is it is it because it's insular, or what's the reason? I think for us, it felt like that. It felt insular. And, you know, I mean, we grew up in a, in a, in a rural area where everyone knows each other. It was like, our, you know, a, a very Catholic place. Yeah. You know, um, our, our parents were very religious. Um, they, were, they were quite a bit older, really. You know, they were, my dad was 55 when my youngest brother was born. So it was kind oh, of like being yeah. brought up by your grandparents in a way. You know, so I think a lot of I, I think a lot of Irish people do want to kind of, at that time, did want to get away from Ireland because of like how it was. But also, a lot of people were leaving and always have left because there, there's just no jobs there or anything. There isn't. What's the, the industry? Well, farming was really, you know, the, that the, was the, the, the big staple. one. Yeah, and and then of course Ireland went through a huge period of prosperity around that time, which was called the Celtic Tiger. Um, so like it, it had it like a tiger economy. Where did that come from? It it came from a, um, a lot of international companies moving into the country. A lot of the um, was there a low tax rate or what was it? Uh, yeah, tax breaks. Uh, a lot of American tech companies, Intel, um, who who are still there, uh, moved in. So that that and a combination of things. Also, Ireland joined the European Union, which you know helped. I think with trade and really right. helped helped to kind of like you know it, it brought a lot of money in as well. So it was a combination of things, you know. And but at, at one point it was in the top five best performing um, economies in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which had which was crazy because it had got uh, in the nineteen seventies. I think it was considered uh, a third world economy. Well, but was that also because of the the clashes and the IRA and everything too? And were people scared to invest in it? I, I think they probably were. Probably, right? Yeah, I think they probably were. Certainly in the north, the, you know, there would have been very little investment going into the north, if any. Is north poorer than... Not necessarily, no. not necessarily. Parts of it might be, but it's, it's not not, uh, not necessarily. And I mean, a lot, of, uh, a lot of money has also gone into the north in terms of trying, you know, after the, um, after the peace agreement was... Uh, signed, then a lot, a huge amount of money went into try to kind of like oh. build okay. infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
where because it didn't exist well it, it, it didn't exist and it would be periodically bombed or you know yeah destroyed it, like, destroyed so oh that's really interesting yeah okay so i got mm. off on a tangent on that yeah. because it's I, it's fascinating but um you left ireland i left ireland with yeah. your brother with my brother yeah and i've not i've not been back really i mean i've i go back but i've not you've I've, not stayed i've not stayed no and I, I haven't regretted leaving. Did your brother go back? Neither neither of them went back either. They both left. They both left. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So so why Manchester? So we, we were doing a little bit of music stuff at the time. You were playing? Yeah, or? we were playing a little bit of music stuff at the time. And, and Manchester, you know, as you probably know, has a really famous reputation for its music scene. In, in the late 80s and early 90s, it became really famous Um Sure. So it seemed like a natural place to go to play. Yeah, and and you know, so we so like a lot of the bands that we we liked, we we knew that they had come from Manchester. So it's uh, like go. Yeah, so so we so we thought like you know let's go there and 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 and, and you know it was it, it that that was the reason really it wasn't anything more considered than that. In the Midwest, it was Chicago. Chicago was the, the Chicago was the city. So if you were cutting yeah. your cutting your teeth somewhere and really doing well in your local area the next jump would have been to go to chicago and see if you could make that step right and and then during the 90s of course seattle hit so you had some seattle stuff going on but then it was los angeles and new york oh really yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's been los angeles and new york since i think i don't know where chicago's at i mean i still think because of chicago being like the third biggest city in the states mm. that it um it gets a good grouping of, of talent also the blues too chicago blues like mm. you have such a huge blues community that was was up there for a long period of time too so it's a natural place for rock to just sort of like grow out of so you're in manchester yeah we're, we're in manchester and at, at the same time um uh my our our older brother paul so he's moved to berlin um and he's um starting a space up there uh, in in a kind of crazy old doctor surgery, like an art space or what type of? So an art an art space um, and a live music space, and so so we're kind of being influenced by that, and we're going over there and sort of spending some time there, seeing what he's doing, seeing what he's doing. We're also getting involved in a place called Islington Mill, um, which at that point was just a derelict old cotton spinning mill in like a nineteenth century, beautiful old building, but largely derelict. So what were you doing to get involved there? Were there so um shows there or what was there so um at that point i'd met bill um who had four years before so this is 2004 what's bill's full, full name so bill campbell gotcha. and so this is 2004 and in, in 2000 bill had bought the mill he'd been a tenant of it for four years before that the mill is is based in an area called salford so Salford is just on the edge of Manchester city centre, but it's actually um, another city. So, oh, so Man really? Yeah, so you've got two cities side by side split by a river, but you wouldn't necessarily know that. Well, but people from Salford are very clear that they're in Salford and not in Manchester. This is like a St. Paul in Minneapolis? Possibly, yeah. Say, split by the river, but sort of you feel like it's the same city. Yeah, so I've never heard of St. Paul, but I know Minneapolis. You, it's the same yeah. thing, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it would be a similar thing. I'll give you the, the sort of the quick story of, of how Bill came to buy the milks. It's, it's important. He's from Manchester originally, and he went to London to study and then came back and was looking for a studio space to work in. He's an artist. He, he's a designer. He studied fashion at St. Martin's, Central okay. St. Martin's. 
And so he came back to to Manchester and was living in a block opposite Islington Mill and saw that there was a floor to lease. So he leased a floor and lived in one half and turned the other half into a studio. And then quite quickly afterwards, the building came up for sale. And so this is the late 90s. And there's a huge amount of optimism in the UK in the run up to the millennium in, in terms of like big um, cultural projects for the millennium. So lots of lottery money going into capital projects to bring buildings into use for culture. Him and a few other artists, a few friends of his, spend four years talking to Arts Council England and Heritage Lottery Fund and all these trusts and foundations about could we buy this building and turn this into an art space. Bill's idea was that it should be for all the arts, not just like visual art or design, because he was interested in them all and felt it would be better to have lots of different kinds of practices together in the same space. And let's what's the scale of the space, just so we can get a sense of So um so it's it's four thousand square foot per floor times six floors. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's just the main building. And then there's a courtyard and then there's three other buildings that are smaller. Um, so it's huge. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's a massive space. Okay, so they were raising the money for this or Tra- trying to. Trying to um, and kind of getting the cold shoulder at every turn. And, you know, they were speaking to both public funding bodies and developers. And so developers would say, well, what you should do is turn all of the other floors into flats and then um, just keep the bottom floor for your of, art space. Of course they were. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, well, we don't really want to do that. We want to have the whole thing for the arts. Why can't we do that? You're like, you're crazy. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> and then the, and then the, and then the arts, the, the funding bodies were like saying, oh, well, you know, I think for them, it didn't quite fit this mold of a millennium cultural project, which in there, which was more like a kind of fancy kind of destination right. architecture kind of thing. So got to the end of the four years. The other three had dropped out and Bill was still there. The building was owned by three brothers. So it was still up for sale this whole time they were trying to raise the money. It was still up for sale. And, you know, this is a period of time that um, I guess buildings are not like, you know, being sold that quickly in this area. And Uh, it's sort of a rough part of Manchester, right? At that time and, and even, you know, even in 2004, it was still a part of Manchester that people just wouldn't really go to that much was that part of the issue with getting the funding too possibly but i'm not i don't know about that yeah possibly um yeah it was just like manchester people would have been familiar with south manchester and this is in the northwest and and generally you know not what you deal with generally yeah a lot of people just wouldn't wouldn't you know salford they just wouldn't go to salford they wouldn't it's not that they it wouldn't even be on their radar Interesting. Okay. At all. So, Bill. Um, so, after the end of the four years, he'd put all this time and energy into it. And, and so what he did is he took a quite a, a crazy decision and borrowed money on what's called bridging finance. So that's, uh, it's it's kind of like borrowing a money from a loan shark. So, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, Holy shit. The contemporary equivalent. So, yeah, oh so it's, it's a very high interest rate loan that's designed for a really short period of time so that to tide you over till you can get the loan on the money to like do the exactly so he borrowed money in bridging finance and bought the building and then wasn't able to get the loan onto a more stable footing um for another four years so 
basically the debt was going up he's and up and up. He's paying huge interest on this. He's paying huge interest. And so his debt that he owes is being, you know, is going up it's and up and up. It's going to be more than the, the cost of the building. Yeah, every day. Yeah. I think in the end, it doubled the cost of the building. Did it really? Yeah. I meet him in 2004. And at that point, he thinks he sold the building because he totally had it up to here with it. And just like, he was done, he was done with it and was just like, you know, this is like, this has not been worth, you know, what the I amount of in. time, energy and no, exactly. But, and that sale that he thought he had fell through. And because I was myself and Mark and the other people I knew were coming. Mark was my brother, your brother were, was coming. We were coming from a music background. And at that time, Bill had mostly been working with visual artists or designers. So we were coming from music background. We, and we were like, Hey, let's do some gigs and let's do some parties here. We can raise money. And we can raise some money. Um, you know, it was the perfect place to throw a wild party. A rave, maybe? A rave, maybe. Because <laughs> 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 it was just this big old empty building that, you know, you could just run around in and you could have on this floor something happening and on that floor something totally different happening. And, yeah. and people loved it because, you know, they were like, it was just this adventure and this kind of crazy place. They didn't even know where they were. That's amazing. You know, they would just got in a cab and crazy looked, part of town. Yeah. In a giant old mill. Exactly. Exactly. Sounds amazing. Okay. So you did yeah. that. So we started doing that. Um, and at the same time, we started building some studios. So did you, did you, were you partners then or not? Like, how did that work? Yeah. So, so yeah, so we were, that's how we met. We, we were partners. So we met in a club called Club Suicide. Did you start? paying off the loans then through the through doing this stuff this thing there was this period of time first of all where we where we were doing these parties and gigs and i I, i'm kind of a bit hazy in the details but sometime after that once we'd built some studios and some and it started to become a little bit more stable that bill was offered uh a better deal with hsbc where they they were going to restructure they, they the loan. Re, re, restructured the loan basically. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, in those early days, it was very, very precarious, you know. And the you know it, it's like we didn't really know if we could hold on to the building in so, in some ways, you know. And there would there was often a lot of really hairy moments where, um, but at the same time, we were just kind of getting on with it, and we were like doing You're pushing stuff. through. We were pushing through, and we were doing stuff, and he'd had you know been been through the mill with it if you like (laughs) (laughs) literally but um but i guess you know there was this we were we were bringing this kind of new energy to it and we were bringing this kind of music and party dimension to it which which brought a real energy and and you had a vision too uh, yeah you know it it was you know it's probably the first time it really became a public building you know a place where people began to know about that things happened there um, I mean, it had a little bit of that before in terms of there were some shows and things like that, but, you know. Not on the scale. Not on the same scale, yeah. So, you know, we so we all worked together, a, a lot of us, and sort of pushed through, started building more studios floor by floor. So more people started moving into the space. We developed one of the outbuildings into um, a B&B. Well, basically what we wanted to do is we wanted to do artist residencies and we had this space, but we knew we'd have to borrow more money in order to develop it because it was literally just a shell of a building. We decided to run it as a B&B that would 
pay for the overheads, including the mortgage, and leave some money aside to run artist residencies. Oh. So it was a kind of idea for a, a subsidizing model. A subsidizing model. And it's worked. And it's worked. And, and that's something that we're now developing in the next kind of phase of the development. So you, okay. So briefly, I want to talk about the next phase, but yeah. also you recently were given a, a grant. Is that what you'd call it from, from the government or how yeah. does that work? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just explain first of all, because I, I, I was talking about the academy and I've realized I haven't really said. I do. I, yes, yeah. absolutely. Go into that. Yeah. So, so essentially, you know, I, through being at the mill and starting to meet some of the artists that were moving into the building, I started to become interested in the work that they were doing. Um, and, you know, I really did Because you weren't an artist at this I time. I wasn't an artist and I really hadn't, didn't have a clue. I'd probably never even been to an exhibition. To really? Well, I mean, you know, you grew up in Ireland. I mean, it's a culture-free zone, really, where we well, grew it, up. I, I was the same thing. Yeah. Everything comes to you about a year later than where it hits everywhere else. Yeah. So you're behind the curve on everything. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, you know, where we grew up in Ireland, there were no galleries or museums. I had no idea Ireland was so much like Iowa. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, this is rural Ireland. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, um, you know, places like Dublin, you know. Of course. Are, yeah, are no, that different. totally makes sense. But like. My my thought of Ireland never processed in that way to think that there were those sections where, I mean, of course there are, like mm. if you just like spend the time, but like if you haven't been there, how do you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the Academy. So, so I, I, I started to become interested in what these, some of these artists were doing and started to, you know, begin to have a go myself at, at making some things. So I was making some, you know, there were designers moving in there and I was starting to make some kind of like, you know, um, explorations with like design and, you know, building lamps and functional things like yeah. that. But what I decided to do was to do an art foundation course, which in the UK is a kind of course. You took one? I took one, which is uh, like a one year course where you try a lot of different things before you then go on to an undergrad. And you can figure out what you want to do. You can figure out what you want to do. Yeah. How old were you at this time? So I was 29 when I did that. Were you older for that course than what most people were? Yeah, yeah. Most people that are doing that are like 18 or something. Right. But know? at least you actually will know what you want to do when you get out of there well, too. Ex exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I I did that and and really enjoyed it, obviously, because, you know, I was that bit older and I was getting loads out of it and really just enjoying myself trying all these yeah. things. But one of the things that I could see from being on the course and maybe, you know, also being that little bit older, like being that little bit more aware of the sort of structure that you're within and, you know, talking to the tutors. And I, what I could see from them is, is that there was a lot of frustration on their part about how the course had changed. So it was supposedly a full-time course. We were there two days per week, but it had been shaved down from four days per week only a few years before. Oh, really? So, so they felt like people were missing out on... They felt like people were being missing out and they were under a lot of pressure to make sure that we all moved on to undergrads, whether we were, you know, suited for it or not. Oh. So they were kind of like, you know, um, being marked on those kind of things. So were there test scores essentially, like the amount or the percent of the people that moved on... Exactly. Was the value of their worth. Exactly. And exactly. if you cut down the number of days, then of course that number of people who's going to go on to the next level 
drops as well too. Exactly. So all these kind of metrics and you know things that had been introduced into to to their work, which were nothing really to do with teaching. It was all financial. It's all financial. Yeah. So so I, I kind of had a sense that you know we were on this kind of like you know conveyor belt towards whatever yeah move along move along exactly and and also that coupled with the fact that I was also at, through the work at Islington Mill meeting quite a few graduates from some of the undergrad courses that we were being encouraged to look at going on to and from what I could see from a lot of those people was that they were really struggling hugely to translate their experience of education into something meaningful for them in the world outside of education and a lot of them, I think, were feeling like they needed to have a whole other period of education in order to kind of figure out how to lost. develop a practice. They were lost. And I was like, OK, so you can. And then the other thing that was also at that time was that the tuition fees in the UK had just been introduced um, at £1,000 per year. But that year they'd gone up to three. So there was a really big conversation. about £3,000 per That's year. That's a giant jump. It's a giant jump, yeah, threefold jump. Um, they're now at nine thousand pounds per year. I should add. Wow. So, um, uh, but um, it provoked like a you know a national conversation about what was happening to education, and it provoked a conversation amongst us as a student body about you know what. So, what is what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Or, and what you know what is this that we're getting into? Right. What we decided to do was to explore the possibility of of what a what an alternative school might look like through doing a couple of summer schools and we did the first one of those while we were still on the foundation course so that we could try and encourage as many people we being who so so we being me and three others who were on the foundation the course. course yeah on the course yeah so and you did it at the mill because you had access to the we mill. did it at the mill because we had access to the mill what we recruited a couple of artists um, that I'd met at the mill to work with us who were great. To do what? To teach or to... So they they facilitated, I would say, more than, than taught. Um, but they gave us a little, enough of a structure to work with in, on, over these summer schools that, that meant that we weren't kind of floundering or... Going in circles. Going in circles. But what was really exciting about leaving the art foundation course um and and shifting across into the mill was that you know we were going from this very very prescribed art environment you know where you know you've got um your studios that are all kind of set up in your yeah. workshops and everything's there and then you go from that to this crumbly old mill building that's about to fall down and there isn't any there's no rules there's no rules and there's nothing to work with either um so you've just got a group of people in a space and I think everyone found that really exhilarating and really freeing in a way. Um, so what we we started just kind of going out into the open space around us. There was a lot of kind of brownfield derelict space around us and dragging up all this kind of crap and shit and bringing it back into the space. And, you know, just like really energetically responding to the context we were in. It's so interesting you mentioned this in correlation to me. I was looking at your work online mm. and i feel like the work has that same sort of like in the beginning of, of the things that i was seeing it was very structured and sort of rigid in a way that was like traditional in the sense of how it was shown or how it was displayed or in the gallery space or like you were dealing with these things that were this is how the work should be 
placed in in the space. And as the years go on, you see this like change in definition in in the actual work, where it starts, it it expands into the space and encompasses the space and becomes part of the environment. And it's really interesting to talk about the mill in the way that you are and look at the actual work that you're making at the same time, because you can see the influence of being a part of that in the actual work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, I think we are very influenced by our education, you know, and the people we've worked with, the people we've been taught by, um, the kind of context we've been in. But it just happens to be your education is part of the thing you made. Yeah, of course. So yeah, the, the mill, like the academy who who teaches like what's the structure like today so, what's the yeah. structure so this so the structure is that there are no uh, teachers and there are no students that really? that everyone is engaged with in learning so that everyone who takes part in it is there um not to, to help and teach and work together or to, what? To, to work together and to 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 um to learn something that they that they want they, that they want to learn to kind of work through some ideas that they want to work through we're we 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 we've always kind of insisted that people participate equally, even if they may not necessarily be equals. In the sense that, of course, some people have much more experience. Than yeah, but others. that's great. Yeah. So, uh, is there a tuition? Like, what? How's the structure? So, so the 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 stru- it's, so it's self directed, and the and the 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 curriculum of activities are set by the 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 people that are part of it at any one time. So it's and it's based on a willingness to be there. Um, and people are there. Sometimes people are there for years. Sometimes people are there for months. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. You can choose your amount of time. You can choose your amount of time. Do you get a studio space or what do you? And, and, um, so there's, most of the people who, who are part of it have a studio space. Some of them have a studio space at the mill. When we started, we were all in the same studio space at the mill. But what we found is, is that there was a lot of people, um, joining who didn't need a studio space or whose practices weren't about that. So there's a core group of people who have a shared studio at the mill, um, and then there's a th- then there's a slightly wider group who who are either based somewhere else or who don't have studio spaces. And we have a curriculum that involves crits, um, which are open to anyone to come along to. So we most of the activities we do are opened up to the to, public or to the public. Really, oh really? Yeah. It's a great way of engaging people outside of it to get more people to participate. Exactly. You know, and we've always kind of like being really clear that it's re- that it's really important for us to um, write about what we do, go and talk at panel debates or conferences about what we do, um, just speak to people about what we do because it's 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 about trying to to share this experience with others so that they can either come and join what we're doing or start their own school. You know, it's very, you know, it's kind of, I, I really believe it's something that anyone could actually do. It could grow, do. expand and... Yeah, and and so um, it, it totally shows why you're here in LA, looking at LA, trying to figure out what you can do to share this experience that you've sort of grown and like built in Manchester, and like have that exchange and have it happen here as well too. I don't feel like people get us, and not enough of artists in the states actually take that opportunity to go and do those things, and yeah. to to experience in that, that way. I think it's fantastic you're out here. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I wonder if we're just lucky in the UK and that we do have some opportunities to go abroad and that, you know, I've been funded by AN who do fund a lot of artists to go and travel on re- for research and maybe you don't have the same. I think part of the things. structure, though, of the States as well, too, it, it, it's big. Yeah, it's very big and it's broad. But the the thing with Europe is that it's easy to go to another city 
close by to go see what's happening and what that that next thing is going to be. And and here, here being the the states, it's not so easy to jump around and get into those communities and sort of experience that quickly and sort of go through that. I think it's easier in Europe. Yeah, it's the I th- I think it's it's probably to do with proximity and distance and those kind of things. Well, and, and just the mindset, yeah. like if you know it exists, you go find it. Yeah, and you go participate. Like yeah, it's like out of, out of sight, out of mind here yeah. a little bit. I mean, you know, I also wonder if it's to do with being in Manchester as opposed to being in London. And I think that what I can see is that the people in Manchester are necessarily more outward looking because it isn't the center of the world. Um, whereas what I see is with people that are that are based in London, they often don't really look that much further because they have a sense well, that that's they're like New York and L.A. right? Yeah, exactly. They have a sense. That Why they're... would you look outside of where you're already at if you have everything you need? Well, exactly. Which isn't the truth to necessarily like I think there, there's great things to be learned by actually experiencing those things that are outside. Of course. Absolutely. So the. The mill itself, how many students are enrolled? Like, what is there a tuition fee? Like, what is it? So, so it's free. It's free? Yeah. I sound like an infomercial. Really? It's free? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we were committed to being free. And I mean, the, the model is basically people being prepared to give up bits of their time to help other people. So there's there's a cost to that, you know, in terms of it's people giving up their time. Right. But but it's monetarily free. The studios are not free, though. The studios are not free. Yeah. And then and any other costs, if we go on a trip somewhere, you know, if we all right. go to everybody, chips every, in. everyone chips in for those kind of things. We've tried to, to keep it as cost effective as possible and try and, you know, do things uh, that mean as many of the people can participate as possible. I mean, an example, for instance, is that, and this is something we did as as the wider kind of Islington Mill. We took on a, we did we took on a year long residency in Berlin, where we took on the lease of a flat for a year. So that was like a, a group of twelve different um, individuals or groups from, largely based at the mill. We took on the organising of it, but some were also based in other parts of Manchester, and we each had a month in this flat in the flat so it meant that like a large group of us from the academy could go there cheaply to berlin for two sets of two weeks it's over amazing. the course of a year yeah otherwise it just wouldn't have been possible because of the cost of each of us having to go and pay for a hotel well, it's nice rooms to have or a centralized location and everything too that exactly. everybody shares in the same way exactly yeah so we do things like that that you know mean that it's possible to go and do these kind of things you know while keeping costs down if everyone's prepared to just kind of pitch in it's not you know, these things can be, can be done. But um, this is, this is a lot of work. You've been doing this for how many years now? So, well, so since 2004, really. So it's a long time to be yeah. running this thing. Yeah, it is a long time to be running it. And I feel like um, it's, it's about, it's, it's moving into a new phase. Which um, is? So we, we've been successful with a large Arts Council Capital Grant to develop our residency spaces. So at the moment we have three rooms. Our development will create eight new residency rooms in the very top floor of the building. It'll put a new roof on the building because the roof's always leaked, which has meant that the top floor and the loft have never been able to be used really. 
a lot of space opened up. So it's a lot of new space opened up. Um, and so we'll have eight new residency rooms in that top floor. And then underneath it, that one whole floor of the mill will be left created for um, exhibitions or production space, whatever those artists up in the residencies want to use it for. We'll have a lift for the first time, to, so we won't have to run up five flights. Everybody's of walking them right now. Everyone's walking up them. Everyone's very fit. You know, there's no gym memberships are are, are um, not necessary. Um, so we'll have a, we'll have a lift, which will mean that we're disability accessible because at the moment we're oh, only disability great. accessible on the ground floor. We'll have all new windows, and there'll be some um, better. Um, there'll be some improvements to the front so that it looks more like a public building because at the moment. Um, you know, it still looks like a 19th century factory building, which is yeah. what it is. Um, so, um, but it's infrastructure. It's things you need for it to to exist for yeah, the next 50 years. Exactly, and they're they're it's all really essential work, you know. But it it also, I think, for us that started it, I think it will it it'll signal a point maybe where we can kind of step to one side a little bit and enable some of the next generation who are you know there are some great people there fresh blood yeah and there are some great people there who are already doing really amazing work so i should say that the mill doesn't really function as an institution in the normal sense and that it's more like a whole collection of different independent businesses and projects that sit alongside each other and they are they they each kind of dovetail and sort of work together but it's not there isn't one sort of institutional voice that kind of like directs the right. whole thing and we've been we've been more interested in working that way you know you know it's 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 more like a community really um rather than a than an institution but it does it does have elements of both and that you know it is a place where people live and a place where people work but it is also open to the public at certain times and we've always tried to kind of be balancing those things so that they they work well can you before we end the conversation, I want to talk a bit about your work mm. because I had a chance to look at it and I read some amazing reviews of it. And could you explain briefly what your practice is? So I think the practice, we, we, well, we, we talked about the academy and I think the practice very much came out of that experience. I can see it. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, I think I think it was the taking the decision to kind of like you know step outside of university I think meant that we as a group of people became very outward looking and so I think a lot of the early work was very much rooted in public space and it was very much about like addressing what public space is and so a lot of the work I was doing what were was kind of intervention based but it led me to think a lot about publishing and performance and so there's a, there's a good bit of performance yeah, there's a good bit of performance. Yeah, so you know, w when we were working um, in those early days, we were kind of going out and and making kind of site specific works in public space, um, which kind of became performative because you're there producing your work in a public space. You know, so I think I took those kind of things and and developed them really into a practice. Into a practice, yeah, and so you know, as you've kind of seen that sort of developed where I'm kind of like now working in much larger spaces. Um, I'm using things like live streaming. I'm, inclu I'm, I'm, I'm including more um, studio practice. So I'm, I'm making prints and I'm making actual things and, you know, which I probably wasn't in the early days, but it still is very much kind of concerned with citing the production within some kind of public context. 
and that being the kind of focus for the work. Yeah. And I think also I'm quite interested in structures and I'm quite interested in not just thinking about, you know, this object here in front of me that I've made as being this autonomous thing. I'm interested in all the other factors around it that kind of really impact on it. We talked about this, like yeah. going into a space and putting something into that space, but dealing with it in a way that actually addresses the space and not just the object. Exactly, yeah. And I, I really think that that came from, you know, setting up a school because that, you know, that is a structure that impacts upon, you know, the learning that happens within it. So, so I, you know, I, 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 I guess I really had that awareness like really early on that, you know, no no one thing is like you know independent of anything you know everything is reliant and kind of totally informed by everything that's around it you've got to read the robert irwin biography i'm going to give it yeah. to you tonight before you leave you can take it with you oh amazing yeah so you know so i've been um and i've also been kind of like looking at um collecting structures and 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 that's partly because in manchester there isn't really a there isn't really a very developed collecting scene in a way. There are very few collectors. Um, so in the absence of that, I've been looking at, you know, alternatives to that. And one of the things I'm looking at at the moment is um, ideas around shared ownership. So Of artwork? Of artworks, yeah. So um, so some of those, um, if, if you look on the website, there's some large-scale site-specific print installations. Yeah, the installations. Yeah, so th so those are works that are made up of sometimes hundreds of individual unique print parts. I've been looking at how a group of people could come together to collectively own one of those works where each one would have an individual print um, and no one would be the owner of the whole work, but, but together they would collectively own it. Rather so where would the actual piece go? So each piece would go to that individual owner and yeah. then eventually it could come together if it needed to. to and be eventually it come together. Yeah. So so that so that's something that I've I've been developing and I'm, I'm, this summer I'm about to launch the first first one of those. Where at? Um, in Manchester, actually. Yeah. So I've made I've made two of those large scale works before and, and with each one I've kind of developed this you idea figured out what you're going to do to I get figured, to where you're at now yeah and i feel like i've got uh, you know i've developed to, to such a point where i can now begin to um enact it um and it, i think it's kind of like quite a challenging idea for people in a way because i think that we are very attached to exclusively having what we own will you pay money for it you and, want it for yourself exactly. you don't want anybody else to have it. it's this greed selfish thing going on yeah yeah the art market and a lot of the structures we work with in the art world are, at least in the UK, are Victorian structures. There were things that were created by the Victorians and they haven't really adapted in the way that, say, the music industry has adapted hugely to digital. I think the art world, you know, is largely working in the same way. And I think we could do with exploring some new ideas that might help to open things up a bit and create more opportunities because there's a lot more artists but i think there aren't any we could do with having many many more opportunities out there for 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 artists to um be able to continue to practice i think that um sort of explains our entire conversation for the evening um with that i want to say thank you for taking the time it's been a wonderful two days and getting to know you and uh the things you're doing are really remarkable and i i feel fortunate to have learned about the whole the whole thing going on. So thank you so much. Oh, no, great. It's 
it's been really enjoyable and that's uh, an hour that's passed very quickly. It's quick, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Have a good cool. one. Thank you. <laughs>